Hey guys, your host Matt Perry here to talk about our new sponsor for Old Time Radio Forever, and that is the Mermaid and the Lion podcast. The Mermaid and the Lion podcast is a perfect fit for Old Time Radio Forever fans because it is the rebirth of the audio drama. The Mermaid and the Lion is a love story, and it's beautifully crafted and told. Be sure to check out the excerpt from the Mermaid and the Lion podcast that will play in between our two old-time radio shows on today's episode. The Mermaid and the Lion podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, and there's an Apple podcast link in our description. Listener discretion is advised for adult content and profanity. That is the Mermaid and the Lion podcast on all of the podcast directories that you may choose. Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Forever broadcast. I'm your host, Matt Perry. Join us weekly as we explore the golden era of American radio through the dramas, westerns, mysteries, and comedies that shaped the golden age. Be sure to give us a thumbs up or a five-star review on all of the podcast directories that you may use. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Everything was all right until about a mile north of the Cimarron. That's when my horse got a hoof caught in a frozen dog hole and broke his leg. So I had to shoot him. It made me feel awful bad. I didn't feel any better thinking about the walk ahead of me. Close to 40 miles to dodge and carrying my saddle all the way. I guess I'd been on the trail about an hour, near as I could figure it was around 3 in the afternoon. And I'd ease the saddle off my shoulders for a rest and a smoke. And that's when I saw the stranger riding up from the way I'd come. He was tall and thin. And his horse was taller and even thinner. And they made quite a pair. Hi. How are you? You lost? No. My horse busted his leg away back. I'm on my way to Dodge. Oh, that's your horse, huh? I saw it. Yeah. 
On your way to Dodge, eh? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you got any more of that tobacco? Yeah, sure. Uh, here you are. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. That's okay. A big walk you've got ahead, ain't it? <laughs> kind of. It's going to be dark soon. You think of making camp? Ah, that's the idea. Uh -huh. Well, it's too bad. Yeah. Do you need any food? No, 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 thanks. I, I got enough. Uh -huh. Well, I thank you for the tobacco. Sure. Anytime. Hey. Yeah? Not saying this beast won't drop dead from the shock, but do you want to climb on behind? Save your piece of boot leather for a while, anyway. Why, well, I'd be much obliged if you think that animal of yours can carry us. Well, she won't mind. Should have been dead a long time ago, except she don't know it. She don't mind. Well, okay, thanks. Uh, here, will you hold my saddle till I get up, huh? Yeah, give it to him. Yeah. Right. Can you manage the saddle? Yeah, give it him. Yeah, I got it. Now, yeah, let's go. You heading for Dodge, too? Not in particular. Just north. Uh-huh. This beast will do about ten knots with the wind behind her, but we ain't going to get more than five with this load. You ain't in no hurry, I am. Well, I, I was kind of hoping to get back tonight. It's a Christmas Eve, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. That backbone of hers sticking it to you? Oh, no, it's okay. Thanks. Notice that tin do-jigger tied to you. You with the law? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a U.S. Marshal. Uh, my name's Matt Dillon. That's so. I've never seen a Marshal on foot. <laughs> well, it happens sometimes. How is it you're down this way? You need to mite off your course? Hmm? So you marshal down here as well as Dodge? No, no, I, I just took a prisoner across the Cimarron into Oklahoma Territory. Turned him over to the army there. Did. And then he shot up tight. We must have ridden a couple of miles without a word. I got to thinking about Dodge and Chester and Doc and Kitty and the rest of them. You know, there's something pretty special about any place at Christmas time. The backbone of a stranger's nag was just about to split me in two when he thought that. My name is Cowley. Yes, oh? Cowley. Yeah, better heave to a spell. She's breathing mighty hard. All right, hold up. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting a little chilly, isn't it? Yeah. Could I trouble you for another smoke? Oh, sure, sure. Here you are. I thank you. Say, hmm? what's it like in Dodge? What? Dodge. What's it like? <laughs> oh, it's like any other town, I guess. <laughs> Pretty big, huh? Well, yeah, I guess so. Not so big as New York, though. Oh, oh no, 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 not as big as that. 
You know, I haven't been in a big town now for more than ten years. Oh, is that so? No. Been down the territories, drifting. Thought I'd move up north this time. Maybe go back east. Now you're from the east, huh? Some time back. Say, what's it like? What? Well, Dodge, any town. Uh, at Christmas. Same as it used to be? Well, I guess so. Yeah. What do you do? Well, same as most people, I guess. What most people do at Christmas. Well, that ain't saying a lot. What are the folks like? And what does it look like? I, I just... I'd just kind of like to know. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, well, there's Front Street. Uh, that's most of Dodge right now. Of course, it's getting bigger. Do you have any kids? No, no, I'm, I'm not married. Yeah. Kids have fun Christmas. Yeah, yeah, they do. That, that's certain. And Dodge, they sometimes have a party for the kids. A couple of days before Christmas. Uh, kids like that. And then everybody gets feeling good, looking forward to Christmas Eve. Like last year. There was snow on the ground. But the sky was clear. You, you could even see the stars. I was going down the street to the Texas Trail to meet Doc and Chester. Uh, Chester, he's my deputy. Doc's a doctor in town. We had some work to do later on in the evening. You could... Uh, see the light shining behind the curtained windows, and almost everybody had a sprig of holly berries hanging up. They got some from the east a couple of days earlier. I remember running into John Bumby. He's a kind of general handyman in Dodge. Never says much, but <laughs> he sure had a lot to say that night. Oh, hello, Marshal. Oh, hi, John. <clears throat> a lovely night for Christmas Eve, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is, John. Yeah. Pretty fine night. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Mr. <laughs> Dillon? Yeah, that's the way it should be, John. Uh, you know, Marshal, this is going to be quite a night for me. Yes, sir. Oh, is that oh, so? Oh, yes, sir. Tonight, I'm asking Mrs. McNish to become Mrs. Bumby. What? Mm -hmm. Why, John, I didn't know that. Oh, I know it's been a mighty fast secret, but I, I'm popping the question tonight. Well, oh. I wish you a lot of luck, John. Hey, I'll I tell you what. Come by to the Texas Trail later, and, and we'll have a drink on it. Oh, I will. I really will, Marshal. <laughs> You're good and kind, Marshal. Good and kind. Merry Christmas, <laughs> Marshal. Merry Christmas. Oh, uh, the same to you, John. That may sound kind of funny to you, but John Bumby's a good man. A little peculiar sometimes, but good as they come. And they don't make enough like him. Of course, most everybody in Dodge suspected Doc and Ms. McNish were sweet on each other. But it just goes to show you. Uh, I'll tell you about John and Ms. McNish a little later. So I went on down the street. You know, it's a funny thing about those words... Merry Christmas. Men say it to each other, and... Well, it makes them feel kind of good. Yeah, I know what you mean. Used to be a seafaring man myself. When you're on the sea and it comes Christmas, things like that can... They can count a lot. Yeah. And we might as well get underway again, huh? Sure. Yeah. Right. Hey, you want to take yeah. my saddle? 
Give it here. Okay. Uh, All right. Give it to me. Okay. I guess... I guess you'll miss it in Dodge tonight, I mean, won't you? Well, if you could get a little more out of this nag of yours, we might make it tonight. Oh, there's not a chance. She'll be on her beam ends pretty quick. She's been on a long reach since sunup. Oh. Mighty bare country up this way. All right. Depends on what you're used to. Mighty bare where I've been, too. It's not like the sea. That's always different. How come you left it? I always heard a sailor doesn't ever get it out of his blood. The sea? (laughs) Guess you can get it out of your blood, all right. You got the right reason you can. Yeah, I guess so. Hey. You trying to get something out of me? But, well, no. Get what? I, I would just remind you. want to ride with me? I don't want any talk about the sea. Well, you brought it up. <laughs> I get it. Turn for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, tomorrow night, Jack Benny and his whole fun-making gang make a personal appearance at a Long Beach, California veterans' hospital. It's going to be a Christmas they'll never forget, as Benny and the bunch cut loose while they assist the folks at the hospital in trimming their Christmas tree. Be sure to join the fun tomorrow night on CBS Radio, when it's Jack Benny time all across America. Now for the second act of Gunsmoke. Amos Cowley sulked his way along the trail for the next while. And then it was almost like he couldn't stand the quiet. Or maybe he had things on his mind. He turned his head. Go on. What? Go on. Tell me some more. Oh, about Dodge? Yeah. Well, I I don't know. Well, you try some more, huh? Well, uh... They got a little pine tree in the Texas a trail. Tree? Yeah, come down a long way from the north. Uh, uh, Kitty Russell, she, she's a hostess in the Texas trail. Well, she she got a lot of ribbon and gee-gaws and made it look real nice. Uh, that was last Christmas. A star at the top? A star? Yeah. yeah, I think so. It looked like a star, I guess. It <laughs> sure looked pretty. And there was, a, well, a, a, a difference in the place that day. Everybody was celebrating and feeling real good. The doors would swing open and somebody would come in and, you know, maybe somebody you just knew to nod at, but because it was Christmas Eve, he'd come right up and say, hello. Oh, maybe that's a good reason, maybe not. I don't know. Anyhow, it was still kind of early. Kitty and Chester were standing off looking at the tree. Hi, Matt. Good evening, Mr. Dillon. Hi, Kitty. Chester. How do you like it, Matt? Christmas tree. Oh, that's real pretty. Only tree but one in the whole town. Yeah, Kate's got one over the Alphaganza. Oh, well, I'll have to see it later. 
Where, where's Sam? I don't know. Maybe he started celebrating too soon. Oh. Doc's taking over the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. You, you want a drink, Kenny? Yeah. Sure. Uh, all right, I'll get you a drink. I'll get you uh, You haven't forgotten anything, have you, Mr. Dillon? Forgotten? Uh, what, Chester? There. What did I tell you, Miss Kitty? I knew just as sure as my nose. That oh, you that. No, no. I, I hadn't forgotten. Oh, well... I thought as soon as they get Sam sober enough to take care of the customers, we could go on over to Doc's like we planned. Sure, we'll do that, Chester. Here you are, Matt. Ah, thanks, Doc. Ah, oh. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's still snowing out. No, no, it's not. Uh, where are you going, Kitty? All right. Just want to look outside. Ah, real pretty. Man thinks of a lot of funny things that don't mean much. Kitty standing at the door, sniffing the cold air, and the warmth inside, and the whiskey in me. It it was a good feeling. And then Chester and I decided to take a bottle over to Mr. Hightower. He's the telegraph operator over at the depot. He runs a printing shop on the side. Say, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, Chester. Do you mind if I stop by the church for a minute? Well, no, I don't mind. I just feel kind of right tonight, Mr. Dillon. Figure out to thank somebody for it. Sure. stop by the church. I've never been much of a man for church, I guess, but I went along with Chester. There wasn't anybody else there, just the two of us. Guess we sat for ten minutes in that place. Chester, a little way off with his head bowed. You know, there's a lot of peace in a church. Maybe, maybe it's the quiet. Maybe, maybe it's the good that people find in there. Whatever it was, it made a man feel glad about pretty much everything. I haven't been in a church since I don't know when. Oh, is that so? I heaved through. Well, she's becalmed again, mister. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she sure wasn't built for it, I'll tell you. Did you see anything like that? <laughs> uh, she is kind of old, isn't she? Oh, I've had her going on eight years. She hasn't changed a mite. Eats like a pig and looks like a four-legged mizzenist. <laughs> Smoke? Don't mind. Hey, what about that, uh, that fellow Hightower? Did you get that bottle to him? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I guess it was lonely over in the depot all alone. He, he was glad for the company. There was a wood fire burning in the stove, but it didn't keep out the cold. Well, how are you, gents? Merry Christmas. Well, how's it going, Mr. Hightower? Oh, slow, Marshal, slow. 
Bit of excitement about an hour back, though. That's huh? so? Yeah. 9.15 got stuck between here and Hutchison. Lots of snow back there. They getting her out? I'm sure they're trying, but <laughs> I'm sure glad I'm not on it. It's going to be a cold night on that train. Well, it's kind of chilly in here, isn't it, Mr. Hightower? Any warmer, and I'm going to sleep. It will say we brought you over a bottle of Irish for company. <laughs> Jameson's well. I declare I was just thinking about a top before you boys come in. Now, that's real friendly. Will you have a drink with me? We sure will. Let's open her up, huh? A couple of glasses up on the shelf there, Chester. Get them down, will you? I don't know if you get an idea about the folks in Dodge or not. They, they're not any different than any other people. Or the town either. Uh, I guess maybe it's a pretty small place at that. The depot, the hall, a few stores, a church, Doc's office, a Texas trail, Alifaganza, my office. Uh, well, not much, but... Hey, it's where you live, you know? Sounds all right. I lived in a town once back east. Small. I know what you mean. Well, maybe you'll be going back. Maybe. Say, kids, they still believe in St. Nick? Oh, sure. Mighty few kids down where I've been. Injun kids, they don't believe in St. Nick. No reason they should, I guess. I used to believe in it, you know that? Well, I guess most people did one time or another. Hey, you figure we come maybe ten miles? Maybe. It's getting dark. Yeah. Well, come on. You want to... You want to ride the saddle for a bit? Oh, no, no. I, uh, that's okay. Well, then, okay. We rode on, and I thought about last year, about Kitty... Doc and Chester and me going over to Doc's place after Doc got tired at Tended Bar at the Texas Trail. It was about a quarter to midnight, and we stood around and sang Christmas carols. And I, I remember how it sounded that night, how it looked. The glow in the stove in the middle of the room, and... Uh, Frosty windows. Yeah. yeah, it was Christmas Eve, all right. What do you say if we... Uh, hey, listen. Huh? Huh? Oh. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I feel sentimental. That's exactly what I feel. I feel sentimental. I know what you mean, Doc. I surely know. Okay, Doc. Bring him out. <laughs> I remember how Doc scuttled over to the bureau and brought out some packages. The presents weren't much, but it 
didn't matter what they were. And when we'd finished opening them, it was Chester who said what we were all thinking. I just... I, I, I just want to say, Miss Kitty, Doc, you, Mr. Dillon, I, I just want to say that this is the best doggone Christmas I ever had. And, and that's what I want to say. He was going to tell me about that uh, that fellow John was caught in that woman. What was her name? Oh, oh yeah, Miss McNish. That's right. Well, she said yes, and she you've did. never seen two happier people in your whole life. Yeah, she's Miss McNish Bumpy now. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, you know, you might settle for a bit in Dodge, or you could get work there. Sure would be fine if you could get back tonight, wouldn't it? Well, it, it can't be helped. I'd be a lot further away and a sight more tired if you hadn't come along. Yeah. Now, listen. How far do you figure before there's a place you might pick up a horse? Oh, I don't know. Fifteen miles or so, maybe. Oh, I'm not going to make any fifteen miles in this nag tonight, that's for sure. Oh, that's all right. Now, I tell you what. You go on alone, you see. Oh, no, forget now, you it. you go I... on alone. She'd hold out with one man on her. And then you get a fresh horse and you ride into Dodge tonight. Well, thanks. That's now, very I'm kind. telling you, I want you to go. I'll be fine. I've walked before. Probably make it almost as quick as you. Look, look it's, it's real nice of you, Mr. Cowley, but no thanks. Now, now, Christmas don't mean nothing to me. you got friends waiting for well, you. Well, I'll see them tomorrow. Ah, you're a fool. Well, that may be. All of them nice folks... I'm going to make him feel pretty bad. Uh, look, I'll stay. If you want to go on along, uh, uh, thanks for the ride. Well, let's well make camp then. I guess so. And listen, you want to tell me some more about uh, what you was telling me before we turn in? Well, sure. I take it kindly, mister. I'll get yourself settled. I got some stuff in my pack we can eat and maybe get a fire going. And after we eat, you can tell me some more. We made a fire and then shared what we had for supper. He seemed to soften up after that, and we talked for a couple or three hours. It was like he was starved for news of people, everyday things, and just plain company. And that's how we spent Christmas Eve together out on the plain. And then when the fire was dying down and I was about ready for sleep, he said, Marshal, yeah, I want to tell you something. I've been needing to tell it for a long time. Do you mind? Well, of course I don't mind. Well, then I'll tell you. A few years ago, I was skipper of a little schooner. I used to sail up and down the East Coast, you know, Boston, New York. Yeah. Well, one night, we hit dirty weather off New Jersey, real dirty Blew us off course, and we piled up on the rocks and knocked the bottom out. That's too bad. There was 18 passengers aboard, Marshal. Four of them was kids. We never saw them again. No. And my own... My own wife and my kid went down, too. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, now, 
Something must have happened to me after that. I didn't want nothing to do with with ships or the sea, and I started to drift out this way. I couldn't forget, though, do you know? And I didn't want to be near folks, especially kids, to remind me, do you know? Yeah. And that's how come I've been slewing around ever since. Sure, I understand. Just kind of wanted to get it off my chest. Sure. Marshal, I'd like to ride into Dodge with you tomorrow. You think I might meet some of them folks you were telling about? Why? Oh, I don't see why not. That it'd be all right. Maybe I wouldn't need to drift no more. Maybe I could... Uh, <laughs> drop anchor, do you know? Yeah, you might at that. Yes. Well, good night. Good night. Merry Christmas, Marshal. Merry Christmas, Mr. Cowley. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin with Harry Bartell and John Daner, Parley Bear as Chester, Howard McNear as Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow night, Edgar Bergen's real-life daughter Candy pays him and you a visit on the Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. Candy and Charlie hit it off fine, but Edgar has cause to regret his hasty decision to invite his six-year-old daughter into the show, especially when she starts throwing her voice. Sounds like fun tomorrow night on most of these same stations when CBS Radio presents The Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, Eve Arden is our Miss Brooks, teaches you how to laugh every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network.
Mermaid and the Lion. Mermaid and the Lion. Mermaid and the Lion. A Chevy 1500 had just made a left-hand turn, hitting me directly on the driver's side of my door on my small Dodge Stratus. My car went flying to the right, hitting electrical poles and finally pinning me between the posts of a corner gas station's price sign. I don't know what happened, but I was in a daze. People had started surrounding the car, bamming on the windows, asking if I was okay, but I couldn't speak. Then I heard my mom screaming my name through the phone. I could see it on the floor well of the passenger's side. I need to talk to her. I went to reach for it, then I felt excruciating pain travel from my neck down my spine. But something told me to keep going because I had to answer her. I grabbed the phone and told her I'd just been hit and my door was smashed in. I was trapped. Now I was really freaking out. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A small boy is reported missing from his home. His age, nine years. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima is doubling and redoubling its smokers. So, if you want a long cigarette... Smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes in cooperation with Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, December 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work, and it was 3.55 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Ben, what's doing? Oh, pretty quiet. How's your mother? Oh, that cold's still hanging on. Bad cough. Doc says nothing serious. My kid's got the same thing. Must be some kind of a virus going around. Yeah. Is that a new suit you've got on? Oh, yeah. Ma figured I needed one. Let me see. Oh, yeah, that's a nice shade. Blue. Where'd you get it? Quincy's down south, Fig. Look okay? Turn around. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a good fit. Uh, did you get all the reports on the Webster case yet? Yeah, all taken care of. Yeah. Homicide, Friday. This is Levinson, Unit 113J. Got something for you. Yeah, Harry, what's doing? Dory and I are out here on Collis Avenue. 
What's the story? The kid's missing. Suspicion of foul play. How long has he been gone? About two hours. Looks like a job for homicide. How do you figure? The kid was last seen playing in the backyard of his home. Yeah? We checked over the yard. Find anything? Bloodstains. Lots of them. They look new. Ben and I left a message for Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. Then we went over to the crime lab, picked up Lieutenant Lee Jones, and drove out the Arroyo Seco Freeway to Collis Avenue. It was an average neighborhood. Number 4656 was a one-story green stucco residence situated on the corner of Collis Avenue and Harrison Drive. Beyond the backyard was a tract of undeveloped land covered with scrub oak. Harry Levinson from Highland Park Juvenile was waiting for us in front of the house. Back this way, fellas. I'm coming, Lee. Wait till I get my back. Okay. Who notified you that the boy was missing, Harry? The mother. Said she went out to do some Christmas shopping about 11 this morning, left the boy home. Came back about two this afternoon. He was gone. What's the name? Johnstone. Kid's name is Stanley. Nine years old. Mm-hmm. Was this gate open like this when you got here? Oh, yeah. I haven't touched a thing. Uh, here are the stains over here, Lieutenant Jones. Uh, along the edge of the walk. See? Yeah. Let me see. Mm, quite a few stains, huh? Looks like it might be blood. I'll try some benzodine on these spots here. Yeah, there we are. See what happens? Where's the kid's mother now, Harry? In the house. Doherty's talking to her. Did you talk to any of the neighbors? People next door. Uh, one's on this side. They couldn't tell us anything. There it is, fellas. Yowie? These spots are covered with benzodine. The Trent blood stain's all right. Can't say definitely whether it's human or animal blood. Mm-hmm. You have to go back to the lab to run it through? Yeah, biological precipitant test. Hand me one of those glass vials from my bag, will you? Yeah. Okay, here you are. Thanks. Scrape some of these flakes off for a test. There we are. How soon can you tap the blood for us, Lee? Precipitant test won't run more than 20 minutes. It'll take three or four hours to run a blood grouping, though. That's it. Anything else you want to check? Levinson, anything else? Oh, uh, right here in my handkerchief. Empty shell. That marker over there by the rose bush, that's where I found it. Mm, from a twenty-two, huh? Yeah. Might tie in, might not. Mark it and dump it in this envelope, will you? Oh, yeah. There you go. Did you get out a missing broadcast in the boy here? Uh, Darty did about a half hour ago. Oh, here's a description here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mother know about the bloodstain? No, we didn't tell her. She's worried enough already. And she has no idea what might have happened to her boy? No more than we do. She checked all her friends, relatives. We're covering the neighborhood. No trace so far. Ain't much to go on. Bloodstains, empty cartridge. Could mean a hundred things. Mm. Any ideas, Franny? Yeah, just one, and I don't like it. p.m. Thursday, December 22nd. The neighborhood search for nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone continued. Lee Jones went back to the crime lab to start the precipitant test and the blood grouping. Levinson and his partner, Doherty, from Highland Juvenile, stood by. We called Chief of Detectives Thad Brown, and he ordered up a special detail to aid in the search for the missing boy. Ben and I questioned the boy's mother, Mrs. Ruth Johnstone, a woman in her early 40s. She seemed fairly calm under the circumstances. Miss Johnstone, um... Is your boy standing in the habit of wandering off without telling you where he's going? No, he's not in the habit of wandering off, but he has done it before. When was the last time, Miss Johnstone? You don't have any children, do you, Sergeant Friday? No, I'm not married. Well, there comes that time in every young boy's life when he feels that it's time to leave home, to go out on his own. Usually happens somewhere around 8 to 10. I think I know what you mean. I've got a boy. Well, then you know how it is. 
My husband and I scolded Stanley one day after school. He was quite put out about it. He thought George and I were unfair. Packed a few of his things and left. How long was he gone? Oh, no time at all. About two hours. I was worried about him, but my husband said to leave him alone. Said every boy had to go through that stage. When do you think he's run away from home again this time? Yes, I think so. He's been gone about four hours now, and I have a funny feeling about it. Did you and his father have some misunderstanding with the boy recently? Well, that's just it. We haven't. I don't mind telling you now that we're talking about it. I'm, I am getting worried. Any place around that he might like to visit? Hobby shop, playground, where he might be? Yeah, there's um, Jensen's model shop and little Shanna Burroughs, but I've already called him and he hasn't been seen all day. I called all his friends they have no idea where he is either. We'd like a list of all his friends and the places that he was known to frequent. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll get him to you. Where do you suppose he is? Where's your husband now, Miss Johnstone? Oh, he's at work. George works for the city. He's a fireman. What house is he stationed at? Engine Company 12. He's working the A platoon. He'll be home tomorrow morning. I haven't told him that Stanley's gone. Was there any chance that the boy might be down at the firehouse with his father? No. No, he seldom goes down there anymore. No, I don't think he's there. I'm awfully worried. May I call my husband? Certainly. Go right ahead. I know George will be worried. Stanley's been gone too long. Hello? May I speak with George Johnstone? This is Mrs. Johnstone. Thank you. I hate to call George at his work. Yes, ma'am. Does your husband own a gun? Yes, he does. What caliber? Do you know? Well, it's a forty-five automatic. He got it. George? This is Ruth. George, is Stanley down there with you by any chance? Oh. No, I can't find him anywhere. He hasn't been here when I came home from my shopping. Uh, there are two policemen here. No, I said there are two policemen here. Oh, no, dear. I'll call you if we don't find him soon. All right, dear. Yes, you too. Goodbye. Uh, I didn't think he'd be with George. That forty-five. is that the only gun in the household? Well, yes. Why are you asking about guns? Is, has anything happened that you're not telling me about? No, ma'am. Just routine checking. We'll have to take a look at that forty-five off, you know, ma'am. Maybe I should tell you. We, we do have another gun in the house, but it, it's all wrapped up. George bought it for Stanley's Christmas present. May we see it, please? Well, yes. Will, will you have to unwrap it? Yes, I'm afraid so. I think I can reach it. We we had to hide it. So let me see. Oh, here's the paper it was wrapped in. Stanley must have found it. It's gone. See, here's the gift card in the box the gun came in. The rifle. Can I look at that box, ma'am? Thank you. How about it, Joe? Twenty-two caliber. Thursday, December twenty-second, five fifteen p.m. It was getting dark. The search for the missing boy continued. We checked the list of Stanley Johnstone's friends. None of them or their parents had any idea of his whereabouts. We talked with Levinson again. He had been in touch with the detail combing the neighborhood. They had found nothing. We went down to Collis Avenue and 10th Street, service station on the corner. One nickel, Joe? No, I got one. You watch for that, huh? Yeah. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Crime lab, Jones. Hi, Lee. Joe Friday. Yeah, Joe. Any 
sign of the Johnson kid? No, not yet. How are you coming? Finish the precipitant test. It's human blood. Yeah. Working in the blood group now. Do you know what type the Johnson boy has? Well, we didn't want to upset his mother. I thought we'd wait till the last thing. We're still in the neighborhood. A check with the family physician. That way you won't disturb him. Yeah, we figured on that. Oh, just a minute, Lee. Yeah, Ben. Boss just pulled up. Okay. Uh, Thad Brown's out here now. I'll check you later, Lee, huh? Yeah, right, Jim. All right, goodbye. Gentlemen, how's it going? Just checked with Lee Jones. Yeah, I know. It's human blood. What do you think? We talked with the boy's mother, Miss Johnston. Found a gun missing. Yeah. Caliber's the same as the empty casing that Levinson found. 22. You said the gun was missing. Yeah, the Johnstones were going to give it to the boy as a Christmas present. They had it hidden, but it's gone now. Any idea who took it? Well, they left the Christmas wrapping behind. I think it was the kid. 22 rifle, huh? Nine-year-old boy. When are they going to learn? First, it's carbide cannons on the 4th of July. The city issued ordinance after ordinance, but a few thousand kids around the country had to lose their eyes, fingers, hands before the parents gives us their full cooperation to outlaw them. I know what you mean. Sure you do. And every other cop in the country became the heaviest trying to clamp down on them. It's always the same story. This time it's guns for Christmas. I know what you're thinking, but we're not sure yet. Listen, Friday, there's a city ordinance against giving a gun to a kid. You know that. Yes, I know that. There's a missing boy and a missing gun. There's blood on the ground and an empty shell. That's enough for me. I'm going to stay with it. Something's got to break. Yeah. I hope it's not the hearts of that kid's parents. Oh, hi, Chief. I've been looking for you, Friday. What do you got, Harry? On the gun. New twenty-two rifle. Strong smell of cordite. I'd say it's been recently fired. Where'd you find it, Levinson? Uh, back up there in that scrub oak. Up behind the Johnston house. Mrs. Johnstone identified it. Buckley took it down to the crime lab. Thanks, Harry. Uh, is Mrs. Johnston okay? Mm, pretty sick now. Killaby came up with something else. What's that? There's another one missing. An eight-year-old boy. 6.30 p.m. We talked with Officer Killaby about the other missing boy. He told us that his name was Stephen Morheim, eight years old. His family had just moved into the neighborhood, and it seemed that no one besides the Morheim family knew that the boys played together. Mrs. Morheim told us that Stephen told her that he was going out to play and that he'd be home by 6 o'clock for dinner. She told us that he was an unusually pump boy and almost never overstayed his playtime. We got a description of the Morheim boy and put out a missing broadcast. We called the Johnstone's family doctor. He told us that Stanley's blood was type O. At 7 p.m., we talked again with Mrs. John Morheim. Are you sure Mrs. Johnstone doesn't know where the boys are? She has no idea, Miss Morehead. It's terrible. It's just awful. I feel there's more to this thing. Something you're not telling me. Well, there's no use to upset you until we know a few things for sure. Then you are holding back something. Now, please try not to worry, Miss Morheim. There are certain questions we'll have to ask, routine questions in any kind of investigation. Is there anything else you want to know? Yes, ma'am. What is your boy's blood type? That's a funny question. Do you think anything's happened to him? Have you found him and you're not telling me? No, ma'am, we haven't found him. We don't think anything's happened to him. His blood type? Yes, ma'am. I think I have it written down in Stevie's baby book. Yes, here it is. Type O. Thank you. wonder if I might use your phone, please. Yes, of course. It's in the hall. I'll be right back, ma'am. Yeah, okay. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Man, that Hello, Ray. This is Friday. Lee there. Uh, just a minute, Joe. Take two, Lee. John speaking. Checking back, Lee. Uh, did you get the blood type?
types and the two missing boys? Yeah, both boys type O. So are the stains, Joe. Type O. You are listening to Dragnet for the solution to an actual case from official police files. Now, here's a real solution to many of your Christmas shopping problems. If your friends smoke a long cigarette, give the best of long cigarettes, Fatima. Give Fatima for quality. The name Fatima has always stood for the best in cigarette quality. Give Fatima for flavor. Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. Give Fatima. They're extra mild. Yes, Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. Yes, extra mild. So give Fatima for Christmas in the attractive golden yellow carton. It's the long cigarette that has doubled and redoubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day agree. Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Eight p.m. Thursday, December twenty-second. Still no sign of either of the missing boys. Chief of Detective Thad Brown went back to headquarters to direct the search from there. He dispatched another detail of fifty men to aid in the hunt of the missing youngsters. Eight thirty p.m. was getting colder. The citrus growers were warned to expect a freeze. We went up the block to see Mrs. Johnstone. Her husband had quit work early and returned home. We talked with him. He could tell us nothing more than we already knew. We still had not informed either of the families about the bloodstains and the empty cartridge casing which had been discovered in the backyard of the Johnstone home. It was more than possible that they had a right to know about our findings, but Ben and I felt that there was no cause to add the, to the distress of the two families at this time. If the two missing boys were found alive and well, then the bloodstains and the cartridge case would be of no concern to the relieved parents. At 8.40 p.m., Ben and I left the Johnstone house and went to the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Morheim. Ms. Morheim, you said your husband worked at a market? Yes. He telephoned about 15 minutes ago and said he was closing up right away. He'll be here any minute. I do wish Stevie would call or come home. It's so cold out tonight. All he had on was a thin cotton jacket. Please try not to worry. We're doing everything we can. It's going to be all right. Stevie's father's such a sensitive man. He and the boy are so close. I know he's terribly upset. No, well, you're sure there's no place you might have forgotten? Some place where the boy might be? No, no place. No. Anything happened to the boy, it'll just kill you. No, no. You sit still. I'll get it, Miss Morgan. Joe. Hi, Harry. The Johnstone kid. He's been found. He's home, Sergeant. He's come home. Thank God he's all right. Where's he been? Did he tell you? No. No, he didn't. He, his clothes were all dirty and he's acting strange. I've never seen him like this. How do you mean, Miss Johnson? Well, he just came in the front door and said, Hello, Mom. And then he sat down in the chair and stared at the floor. He won't talk to his father or me. Do you mind if I talk to him? No, go ahead. I asked him about the little Moorheim boy and he wouldn't tell me a thing. Where is he now? In the living room. Looks all right. Yes. Son. Son, this is a police officer. He he wants to talk to you. 
Don't be afraid, dear. He only wants to ask you some questions. Son. You see, Sergeant? Stanley, come on, look at me, son. Get your head up, youngster. Come on, now that's better. I had your mother pretty worried, you know that? You want to tell us where you've been? I wish you'd try to get him to eat a little something. Do you hear that, son? Want something to eat? Stanley, there's another little boy up this street who hasn't come home. Do you know where he is? His father and mother are worried about him, too. Just like your folks were. You've got to help us find him, son. I... I killed him. I killed Steve with the twenty-two. We were only playing. <laughs> but I killed him. How do you know you killed him? Maybe he's only hurt. Now, isn't that it? <laughs> no, he's dead. I know he's dead. The gun went off. We forgot we put bullets in there. Where is he, Stanley? I hid him. I was scared. I didn't want anybody to find him. Where did you hide him, son? In a cave up on the hill. I didn't mean it. It was my pal. Do you want to show us where, son? Yes, I'll show you. Please don't send me to jail. 9.15 p.m., Thursday, December 22nd. Nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone led the way up the hill behind the backyard of his home. He showed us the wagon he moved the body in. His father came along with us. About 50 feet from the crest of the hill, the boy went to a thicket of scrub oak. There we found a small cave holding the body of Stephen Morheim. There was a single bullet wound in his chest just below his heart. He was dead. We covered the body. Stanley. Stanley, how did it happen? I knew my folks were going to give me the gun for Christmas. I knew where it was. And I got it. There was a box of bullets with it. Were you pointing the gun at Stephen? No, sir. No, sir, I wasn't. It was Steve's turn to play with it. I was chasing him. He tripped over the stump there in our backyard and fell. The gun hit him in the stomach. And it went off. Why do you think you killed him if you're telling us the truth? I'm telling the truth, honest. That's the truth. All right, I believe you, son. But why do you think you killed him? It was my gun. Steve would still be alive if I didn't go and get it. I should have waited till Christmas. It's all my fault. Where have you been all this time? In the cave with Steve. What were you doing in there, son? I was praying. I was praying for God to make him alive again. <laughs> After a thorough investigation, Ben and I were convinced that the shooting of Stephen Morheim was accidental. Lieutenant Lee Jones' findings substantiated the Johnstone boy's story even to the smallest detail. We put in a call to the coroner's office and acquitted him with the facts. He designated a local mortuary to handle the body pending autopsy and granted us permission to remove the body to the Morheim home. Mrs. Morheim collapsed. The family doctor was called. Ben and I sat in the living room to wait for John Morheim, the dead boy's father. Edith! Edith! Mr. Morhead? Yes. You the police? Yes, sir. Where's Edith? Where's my wife? Has my boy come home? Have you found him? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? Steve! Stevie! Where's Steve? He's hurt, isn't he? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's hurt bad, Mr. Morhead. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's in his room. 
pretty bad. He's... He's dead. All right, if I go in. If you want to. Will you go with me? Sure. Don't make it any harder on yourself, Mr. Morheim. I want to see my boy. Listen to me, son. We've got you a lot of nice things for Christmas. Everything you wanted. I I got you the three new cars for the train. The the one with the searchlight is really worth (laughs) Son, you... Because that new switch you wanted to it. A lot more try. <laughs> oh, dear. Now you can have a big layout. <laughs> you know that, that new baseball that you saw? Well, I got it for you. <laughs> that cowboy outfit you wanted, I got you too. <laughs> Mr. Morahan. Come on, Joe. father had in mind. We didn't feel that we should try to restrain him. We went along with him up the street to the Johnstone home. Hi, Stevie's father. Where's your boy? I'm sorry. Where's your boy? He's right here. Won't you come in? It's all right, Mrs. Johnstone. You... You're the boy that was with Stevie? Yes, sir. What's your name? Stanley. Stanley. I know it wasn't your fault, Stanley. I wonder if you'd do something for me. Yes, sir. I've got a lot of... Nice presents for Stevie. I know he wants you to have them. I want to give them to you. Christmas Eve. Mom? I I think that would be a fine idea, son. Come on, Ben. 
What does it all prove, Joe? You don't give a kid a gun for Christmas. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 24th, 1948, a coroner's inquest was held in the county morgue, city and county of Los Angeles, state of California. In a moment, the results of that inquest. Now, here are authentic reports from all over the country that tell the story of Fatima's sensational increase in popularity. New York Division. Fatima sales up 132%. Chicago Division. Fatima sales up 453%. Los Angeles Division. Fatima sales up 545%. More and more smokers agree Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. So enjoy Fatima yourself and give extra mild Fatimas for Christmas in the attractive golden yellow carton. Everyone who smokes Fatima says that this great new long cigarette is the best of all long cigarettes. At the coroner's inquest, it was officially recorded that Stephen Morheim's death was the result of an accident. Stanley Johnstone, age nine, was absolved of any legal responsibility for his friend's death. You have just heard Dragnets, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of acting chief of police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Dragnet honors Hennepin County, Minneapolis, state of Minnesota, and the men of the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Sheriff Ed Ryan, veteran police officer and department administrator who dedicates his life to making yours more secure. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, portion transcribed from Los Angeles. Be sure to hear songs by Morton Downey tonight on NBC. NBC.